Welcome to episode 66 of the Rapid Change Matters podcast, a conversation with the author of the book Brain Over Binge, Catherine Hansen. My name's Howard Cooper, and for over 14 years now, I've been fascinated with helping people to create personal change quickly. But I still come across many who believe that lasting personal change has to take a long time, consisting of reliving traumas or deep psychological analysis, or simply that flawed notion that understanding why you have a problem will somehow make it go away. I'm on a mission to get people who work therapeutically with others to shift their thinking and realize that these beliefs are not written in stone. Rapid change can happen. So, to help you open up to what's possible, I'm chatting with top therapists and agents of change who are out there getting real results with real people really quickly. Before we get to the interview, I've got big news. Rapid Change Works is now running live training events, and you can check out the latest events coming up by visiting rapidchange.works, where you can also download a free, quick-to-read PDF on five strategies to amplify your client's response, along with all the information about this episode and episodes still to come. Now, over to the interview. A few months ago, a friend of mine said, you have to read this book. And she sent me a link to a book called Brain Over Binge. Whilst this book primarily focuses on educating and empowering people who struggle with all forms of binge eating, I noticed many themes and ideas that resonated with the way I approach change. And I immediately reached out to see whether the author would come onto the podcast. She agreed. And I'm really looking forward to speaking with someone who offers an alternative voice to the often recommended traditional forms of therapy that many people with binge eating issues are sent to. So it brings me great pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Catherine Hansen. Thanks so much, Howard. I'm really glad to be here. It's uh, an absolute pleasure. And I'm just sorry I didn't have a sound effect of like cheering people just then. <laughs> but no, really, I, it's, it's, I, I was really blown away by the book. And uh, as I know, we spoke just now uh, before we clicked record. I was, uh, for all those listeners, by the way, I was a little bit gushing uh, about just how uh, overwhelmed I was by how good I I think this book is. Um, And it really cuts through uh, a lot of issues that uh, I've been thinking about or playing around with in terms of traditional therapy. But um, for those people who haven't heard your story, um, I'm not suggesting that you tell them the whole thing and save them the bother of reading the book. But could you give us a a brief outline of um, a little bit about your background and what led you to writing this and discovering the brain over binge? Yes, absolutely. I can do that. I first want to say just thank you so much for the compliments. I mean, it's amazing to me to hear you have such praise for my book because it really started as just me authentically sharing my own story, like all the raw parts, you know, that were even almost embarrassing to share at the time. And I just really felt like I had this powerful story to get out there that went against the way that eating disorders are traditionally treated. So it's just amazing that it's been able to reach so many people. And just, I appreciate the kind words. As far as my own story, it I'll try to tell it in a brief version. I started basically dieting, restricting my food intake when I was in high school. And and a lot of my friends were doing it. You know, it's just a very common behavior when you're trying to, you know, look better or whatever. It's just a cultural, cultural trend that's, it is problematic, but that's kind of beside the point right now. I started eating less. And as I ate less, my urges, my desires to eat just became 
really strong. And I know anyone who's been on any sort of diet can relate to that. It just goes against our basic biology. So this dieting weight loss went on for about a year and a half. And then I had one morning that I just completely was out of control with my eating. I mean, I ate more food than I could ever imagine eating in the past. And the episode was just very uh, unsettling to me. It I did. I just never experienced such a what felt like a lack of control, and um, I was just extremely full. I felt terrible about myself, you know. And then I was determined to keep dieting, keep you know, get back under control. And I started binging, which I learned that's what the behavior was. Um, I started binging more often. It would happen more, and the more I tried to restrict my food, the stronger the urges to binge became. And then this cycle just really perpetuated. And even when I let go of the dieting, I had just created this habit of binging and it really affected my life in so many ways. I, I tried to self-induce vomiting. Um, it never um, worked for me, which I'm thankful it didn't, but I would purge through um, exercise. I would exercise for hours and hours and hours on days after binges and it just consumed a lot of my life. And I eventually sought help for this in the form of therapy because I knew, okay, this is not normal. This is not something I should be struggling with. And, and no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't seem to stop myself from engaging in this abnormal eating behavior, the binging. So in therapy, I learned sort of the way that uh, eating disorders are conceptualized and treated. And, you know, this was back in a long time ago. (laughs) I went to therapy the first time in like 1999. So, you know, but sadly, things haven't changed that much. I mean, there have been some improvements, but eating disorders were thought and are thought to be symptoms of underlying problems of, you know, sort of in it, a way that you're trying to cope with your life, a way that you're trying to deal with either issues from your past or your present, like stress, um, depression, anxiety, low self-esteem, family issues. It's just a, a more like a symbolic behavior, like you're engaging in this behavior to fill some sort of emotional void. And so then the solution becomes, okay, you need to solve all these underlying problems. You need to get basically get to the bottom of why you're doing this of what you're trying to cope with, of what emotions you're not able to deal with in your life and why you're escaping to food. And if you can solve those things, then you'll no longer need to binge. It it was kind of told to me that binging was a, a need, an emotional need. So I went down this path and I tried to solve everything I could think to solve and everything my therapist directed me to solve. We went through you know, my past and how it was brought up. And I think anyone can sort of find evidence of places that they're broken or that their life is not perfect. And I was able to find a lot of evidence and I worked on things and I'm someone with tendencies toward anxiety or perfectionism or things like that in my personality, low self-esteem. But no matter what I did, I still had these episodes where I felt completely consumed by these urges to binge and I still followed them in this habit perpetuated and even in a lot of ways got worse during therapy and I became frustrated with the whole process and um and I realize this story is getting long I'm trying to condense it but it so I I became really frustrated with the process but I I kept believing the therapist and I eventually got on a medication and it very temporarily I mean it gave me side effects I wouldn't recommend this medication to anyone but it relieved my urges to binge very kind of unexplainably And I still had all these same problems, like the family problems were still there, the tendencies toward anxiety, low self-esteem, things like that. All the emotions that I thought I was dealing with through my binging were all still there. But like the urge to binge was not there. 
and I didn't binge. Like no matter what emotion I was feeling, no matter what problem was coming up in my life or what I was upset about for my past, like there just was not a desire to binge, even though life wasn't perfect or life was still hard. So this was like, okay, this is, this is strange. This is weird. So like after that, I didn't go back to therapy, but the medicine stopped working. Like it, you know, it gave me side effects and and then the the urge just came back. Um, And I just wasn't willing to go back down that path that therapy had, you know, brought me down. So I eventually discovered Jack Trimpey's work, which is his book was called Rational Recovery. And he was really the first person that ever said, like, you're not diseased. There's not something fundamentally wrong with you if you have some sort of addiction or bad habit. Now, he was primarily speaking to people with alcohol addiction, drug addiction, but it really spoke to me. I mean, he basically said, like, you can stop the behavior even if you don't solve these other problems. And basically, the behavior is not even caused from these other problems anyway, because that idea just really doesn't have any backing. Although it's really widely accepted in society, there isn't any evidence of that. In eating disorders, there definitely is not evidence that the eating disorders are caused from these problems or that solving them leads to recovery. I mean, there just isn't that evidence yet. This idea is just so out there. So I, I read his book and I basically stopped. Like, I had maybe two more episodes after I read the book, but they were different. Like they felt different. I could see what was happening. And his book sort of set me on a path to learn about the brain. And that's kind of how my book got the brain over binge title, which I'm sure we'll dive into more. But that's kind of the basics of my story as far as like how I got into binging, Hmm. how therapy wasn't effective, and then how I eventually recovered. I, I, I find it so fascinating and uh, certainly, you know, for those listening, I, I thoroughly recommend if you can't tell already going and reading the book because you get so much more detail on that story and some of the personal private thoughts that you were having, which is, it, it also adds some of the colour to, to all of that. Um, but, but one thing I've been fascinated over the years, having had lots of conversations with change workers and therapists is, you know, we all have this idea that we want to do no harm as a therapist. We want to help people. But I think sometimes inadvertently we're, you know, as therapists, we're telling people things or drawing links between things. And we have to be really careful because what we're telling people is not always received in that way. And um, if it's all right with you, Catherine, I want to share a few of the um, a particular chart uh, that you have in the book, which Thank talks you. about the therapy concept that you were, were told. And obviously that they, they, they tell you it or they expose you to it with good intentions in mind, like they are trying to help. But then, of course, you've got your interpretation or, in other words, what the client hears. Um, so, for example, I'm wondering if I if I read out the therapy concept, perhaps you can uh, explain your interpretation of it. Yeah, sure. So one of the therapy concepts was, you know, you were told that you have a disease. Yeah, this was something that was definitely told to me in sort of many different ways. And, but what I took from it was that I didn't really truly have control over my own behavior. And I think that was harmful because I already felt that way. Like when I would binge, like I talked about, it felt like such an out of control experience. So it was sort of like the therapist confirming to me, yeah, you're right. You don't have a, you don't have control because you have a disease. And, you know, I, it sort of relieved my personal like fault because a lot of times I would get mad at myself for it and in that part you know I don't think that was such a bad thing but I also needed to learn how to develop control but that was why I came to therapy like how do I learn to get control of this but then they basically said 
well, you can't because you have this disease. Mm-hmm. And presumably that they take you down that route and they mean it. It's well intentioned um, so that to help with the so that you stop ruminating about what this says about me, that I'm a bad person. But of course, that has yeah. spin-offs and a knock on effect. Um, yeah, it does. And it doesn't mean I, I know that, like you said, they had good intentions and they didn't mean like, OK, you have a disease. Therefore, you have to live with this forever. It was more like you until you solve these other problems, until you know why you're doing it, until you get to the root cause and resolve that, then you're going to keep doing it and you do not have that fundamental control. So one of, one of the other ones that, that you heard and I thought was interesting was that you binge to cope with problems. And that was kind of a, that's a narrative that they sell you on. Yes, definitely. That is a big interpretation of binge eating, that it is a coping mechanism and more like a faulty coping mechanism, like a way that you're trying to address something or trying to deal with emotions in your life that you can't face. But for me, it kind of gave me a lot of excuses to binge because I could always find problems in my life or in just my daily interactions. I could always find that problem to say, okay, this is why I binged. And my therapist would even lead me in that direction. Like if I had a binge, they would ask, okay, what happened before that? What led to it? So then when these things would happen that were difficult, Idea, an idea would automatically pop in my mind, okay, well, you should binge, you have to binge to cope with this. So it really gave me excuses to keep performing this behavior. One of the ones, uh, and for me, it was, it's the one that you end with in this, this, this grid, you have to resolve your past, become emotionally satisfied and find happiness in order to give up your bulimia, <laughs> which they'll sell you on, or, or that that's what they're kind of I- implying, that you have all of this emotional stuff that you need to work through in order to solve this and what did you take from that was this was going on yes that was definitely the implication and I a lot of times I just thought okay well I haven't achieved those things yet I'm not emotionally satisfied I haven't resolved my past and so it's okay if I binge and you know I was when I started therapy I was like barely 20 or 19 like I what 19-year-old do you know that has resolved their past and has become emotionally satisfied? And, you know, it's such a compu- it was such a confusing time in my life. And to have the therapy concepts tell me these things, I just felt like it did me a disservice. And we talked a little before this recording that it's not that we're saying therapy is all bad or I don't, I know my therapists were very well intentioned, but this is what they were taught. This is how they were trained. And that's the message I took like, okay, I have to get my life in order. I have to get my life together. I have to know what I want. I have to find purpose. And that those are big goals. I mean, I still haven't accomplished any of those goals, but I don't binge. So I think that what I try to teach people is that you don't have to have everything under control. You don't have to you know, be emotionally satisfied, satisfied in order to not binge. You do not have to be happy in order to not binge. Like you can say no to the urges. You can learn to take control back regardless of your emotional state. I, I, I really find that fascinating. And of course, the, the story of going on, on to medication, which temporarily switched the, 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 the urges to binge off, really helped give you that insight that, of course, hang on, all the same problems are still going on in my life, except I'm not binging. Yeah. which means it, it can't be those things that were causing the binging. The binging is totally separate to that. Um, I have a theory which has been growing over time, and I'm really curious to see your take on it. And um, maybe it's a little bit downbeat. I'm not sure. But um, 
it's this, I think the world of personal development, and I'm not talking about necessarily any one specific therapy, but I'm talking about the sort of general pop psychology movement that we see on social media, which really increasingly I see applauds what I would call uh, having to do positive thinking all the time. And that we have to be positive and we have to find our true selves and we have to find our, our total purpose in life in order for us to be fully happy and so on and so forth. And I think a lot of people are becoming afraid of any form of negative thinking or any form of unpleasant sensation or emotion. And I, I often talk to people about um, my, my grandfather, who I never met, but he, he, wrote, he was born in a, a little village in Russia. And uh, he moved out to England when he was six or seven years old. And he has memories and he wrote um, memoirs and he wrote uh, memories of him traipsing through the snow in bare feet as a seven year old, selling needles to people so that they could sew their clothes as a way of earning some money. Uh, and then he came over and worked uh, in the fur trade, uh, making clothes. And uh, apparently he used to work six and a half days a week. You know, and leave at six in the morning and so far away, he would travel two hours there, two hours back, get back at eight at night. He would do this repeatedly. And apparently when my mum was old enough to realise this is quite a heavy workload, she, she said to him something like, like, do you enjoy your job? Like, I, I, do you enjoy what you do? And he turned around and said something like, I don't understand. But what's enjoyment got to do with it? In other words, years and years ago, you know, we were... I think probably used to feeling like just being okay with not being perfect and not and having just a job that maybe you didn't enjoy. But nowadays it's like if we're not living every moment and enjoying everything all the time and feeling totally positive and totally happy, then what's wrong with us? Yeah. And, and I'm just wondering what, what your take on is that is, is positive thinking. Is that kind of a downside? I do think it, it, it can become that way. And I definitely felt like it affected me. Like believing that I had to be positive in order to not binge was very detrimental, I feel like, because life is not positive all the time. Even no matter how much you try to make it that way and no matter how you know much the world tells you you're supposed to be happy all the time, it is just not going to be perfect. And I think that the sooner you can accept that, like the actually the happier your life becomes and, and not necessarily happier, but like just more you just have more peace. I mean when you're not constantly fighting against everything that's happening to you and and you can just kind of take it in and, and cope with it the best you can. I, I just think that that's very beneficial. And as, in relating it back to bulimia or bad habits in general, you know, when you think that when you're not happy, you have to engage in this behavior to sort of comfort yourself or to try to cope, then it, like I talked about earlier, it kind of can give you endless excuses. So is the sooner you realize, okay, I had these negative emotions prior to developing this habit. I'm going to have these negative emotions after I quit this habit. So really, it's not the negative emotions or the negative thoughts that is causing it. Like, I like to explain that it's the urges to binge or really to perform any habit. It, it's these urges, these desires that kind of make you feel hijacked that actually cause the behavior. It's not the negative emotion. It's not the the event that might have happened to you. And you know, I'm not telling people they can't try to address negative emotions or try to help themselves in many different ways, but but just always remembering that's not the cause. Like, you can be depressed, and if you don't have an urge to binge, you're not going to binge. You can be anxious, and if you don't have an urge to binge, you won't binge. Like, 
it's the urges that are the problem, not the negative emotions. Yeah. Otherwise, everyone who has depression would binge. Like there would be something inherent within depression that makes you binge. And and there isn't. How, how, I mean, at at some point, you, you presumably were given a label that you suffered from binge eating disorder, mm-hmm. you know, or you or, or bulimia. How, how helpful or unhelpful was having a label at the time for you? I mean, I think it did make me feel more powerless. It made me feel like, okay, I have this thing, like I have this problem. And, you know, in reality, I was young. I was in high school. I did with a lot, what a lot of other girls my age were doing, and that was dieting. But because of some personality factors or and things. I took the diet way too far, and that triggers this pr- primal survival response in the brain. And that, that's a big part of what I teach as well is that, like, because your brain reacts to dieting, like, that does not mean something's wrong with you. That's a very healthy response. I mean, kind of the biggest example of that is the Minnesota starvation experiment when the, the men in this study were, like, basically developed all the symptoms of an eating, eating disorder just because their food was lowered. And when you don't eat enough, like your body and brain is going to react. That first time I binged, that was my brain trying to protect me. Um, and then to be told later that you have a disease, that you're powerless, that you you have this label, like you talked about, you're, quote, bulimic. Like, no, you, you dieted. I dieted. I didn't know that was going to cause a problem. And my healthy brain tried to protect me. I basically became a victim of my own healthy brain and then to be labeled as that being a problem like i said it it just didn't feel empowering so i mm-hmm. eventually you know came to the belief that like nothing was ever wrong with me i mean i say that like ev- something's wrong with everybody like none of us are completely normal or perfect like i my probably wife would had agree some- with you there about me <laughs> certainly yes <laughs> i mean i'm sure i had certain factors that put me more at risk for my dieting to go too far and then for you know but regardless like all of us have areas or things that we're susceptible to. So like, just because I was susceptible to that particular issue, like doesn't, again, doesn't mean anything was wrong, anything was wrong with me. So I think like day one in therapy should be like, not assuming you have a label or something is wrong with you. Like, let's, let's look at what actually happened and, you know, start from an empire empowering place. Don't start from your disease. You have a label. You can't control this. It's funny because a lot of people have said to me things like, I feel broken. And I don't think anyone's broken. I think they've just yeah. learned some stuff and come to some, con- some conclusions that anyone who went through the same stuff that they would go through would have the same, a similar learning. And then it just became a habit. Habit formation also is not a sign of disease. And once I started binging over and over because of the survival drives and it it becomes wired in your brain as a habit but it's a very primal response like in my book it's it's brain over binge because it's the binging part of yourself is is a primal drive it's in the reward centers of the brain just those more animalistic parts of the brain and then what you use to recover is your your more human brain your higher brain your prefrontal cortex so i kind of um i just think Therapy makes it, okay, this is your problem. This is you. This is kind of who you are. And that's what a label can do as well. But what I try to tell people is like, hey, this is actually not you. It's just this glitch in your brain. And I know you, you use the word glitch as well. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of your reward system gone wrong. It, it's habit formation, but it's your brain can't really distinguish between a good habit and a bad habit. It just kind of does what it's been taught. So I taught it to binge over and over and over again with my survival driven binges 
So then it kept producing that urges for that behavior. The other thing that I I said to you right up front before we started recording that I'd be fascinated to to, to talk to you on air about how you managed to, I, I guess, come to terms with the idea eventually that it was like, okay, I've been on the wrong path or it hasn't been working for me and I'm going to do something else. I'm going to do something different, despite the fact that there are all these supposed, in inverted commas, experts who are following more traditional approaches. Um, and And it hasn't been working for me because I know a lot of people who essentially would rather protect their feeling of, you know, well, surely I've been doing this the wrong way for 10 years. So I should carry on doing it because I would hate to realize that, you know, maybe there was something else. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely relate to what you're saying. I think the initial excitement that I felt when I first was able to not binge when I had that urge, it had an effect of overriding that line of thinking that you're saying, like, I've been doing it this way for 10 years and it's not working. But I was so excited about this newfound ability to control my behavior and not be affected by the binging that it yeah, it it sort of made me want to keep going down that new path because it just it had that level of excitement and something new. And yeah, those thoughts did come up like, oh, gosh, I wasted all this time. Oh, I can't believe my therapist told me I couldn't control myself. And look, I'm totally controlling myself. I did have those thoughts of, of wasted time and things, but I just realized that it wasn't useful to still hold on to that way of thinking when this new way, like through experimental evidence, it was working and it just mm-hmm. didn't seem like didn't make sense to go back down the other path. So, so remind me, when would you say that you were, you were clear you were done, you were no longer bulimic or um, binge eating? Yeah, I had my last binge like around summer of 2005. I, I read yep. Rational Recovery. You know, the, the first experience, basically Jack Trimpey in his book, he does talk about the two parts of the brain to an extent and just that your cravings and your, your drives to the behavior or the substance of that your addiction, it's not you. And mm-hmm. it is something that you have control over. You can actually hear that you can be basically the observer. You can, I don't think he uses that term, but you can see your urges in a more mindful way. Like you can let them come and go you can experience all of those sensations and you can remain detached from it. You can still remain in control of your voluntary movement. So the first time that I had that experience and like all these old thoughts, all these old feelings, all these old sensations came up and usually I would just go right to the food. And a lot of that was because I thought I needed it. I thought that it was helping me cope. I thought that I couldn't possibly cope otherwise. So, you know, the first time I had that experience of like just the thoughts came up and they went away and it was just amazing. And, you know, um, that first time I just never wanted to go back. So that was like around May of 2005. And then I, I had another kind of binge where the urges came up and I felt like I almost chose to follow them, but it just felt so different. It didn't have that same out of control feeling. And then basically in the middle of that binge, I just stopped. I said, I just, this isn't useful. This isn't something I do anymore. Like this was, you know, I'm done. And I never binged again after that. And and then it just became about sharing my story. And the urges came up after that. The urges yeah. came up for about nine months. And people are always like, oh, you quit so easily. Well, yeah, I mean, it was easier than anything I had ever done. But I still had to remain consistent in being aware of the urges mm-hmm. and in not acting on them when they came up. And that was a practice that, you know, basically retraining the brain. It's it's neuroplasticity. It's unlearning a habit and eventually yes the urges did go away they went away 
you know, gradually, it wasn't always perfectly linear, but about nine months after that first time I had detached from the urges and not acted on them, they just really stopped coming up in any situation or, like I said, regardless of emotion or or circumstances. I'm curious about how other people reacted. Um, Other people reacting to your story of being able to go from having this problem, which seems chronic and difficult and and okay, so yes, there was some practice involved over nine months, but it was easier than anything you'd done previously. Were people disbelieving? Were they going, well, it, it's just, it, she's kidding herself. It's just a phase. It's not going to last. This stuff doesn't really work. And, and how did, if that happened, how did you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I had those own thoughts myself because like, yeah. it, it was <laughs> exciting and it was amazing and I was finally free, but then I had this underlying doubt, like, no that's not possible. You know, it's, it's going to come back one day. And I just kept going and kept going, kept going. So by the time I published the book, I published it in 2011. So this was, you know, six years removed from the problem. So by that time, you know, I was extremely confident that, okay, this, this works. And maybe it's not the answer for everybody. I definitely don't think it's, you know, my way is the only way, but I felt like I had a powerful story to share, like six years removed. And now I'm over 15 years removed. So, you know, it's, I can see where that people do say people do say that like, okay, but there is so many other people who have recovered in the same way. And Jack Trimpey says in his book that it's how people just naturally stop addictions. Like there are so many Mm -hmm. people in this world that used to do something and they no longer do it. And you, you can't tell everyone like that, that they're kidding themselves. I mean, even little kids who have habits like sucking their thumb or a pacifier, you can't tell them you're just kidding yourself. Like you're going to go one day pick up that pacifier again. No, like you just stop the behavior. It's done. The habit is broken and you can move on with your life. I, I really like it. That towards the back of the book, you use an analogy about Pavlov's dogs and you talk about, and it is interesting because it's the first time I've heard anyone talk about um, the other side of Pavlov's dog. You know, so everyone talks about, you know, the association of you ring the bell, feed the dog, you ring the bell, you feed the dog, ring the bell, dog salivates and the dog salivates at the sound of the bell. But, People don't, I haven't heard many people talk about, like, when the experiment's over, mm-hmm. the dog relearning that the ringing of the bell doesn't, in fact, mean it's getting fed. I thought yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, wh- why did I never think about that? It's like the other side of the Pavlov's dog story, that it, it doesn't mean that now the dog permanently has to salivate whenever a bell is, is sounded in future. That's it now. This dog is only ever going to salivate at the sound of a bell. You know, it can also unlearn that uh, and have an extinction from that response. Yeah, I think it's great evidence and it's encouraging to anyone who's struggling with this or other habits that like if you learned it, you can unlearn it. There's nothing that's permanent about it. What other issues have you been aware that um, have been applied by this brain over binge methodology, these ideas? Yeah, I mean, people do contact me all the time and say things like that. I mean, there are other people in this field like Jack Trimpey, and a lot of people compare this to like Alan Carr's method for stopping smoking and things more of that rapid change methodology. Mm. So, you know, I'm definitely not the only one sharing these type of ideas. But as far as like people who contact me say it helps them, like the whole idea that all of your thoughts don't have to be believed or followed is like so huge for so many areas of life. And I didn't make that connection right away. It was just like, okay, strictly the binge urges. But then as time went on, it was like, wow, there are so many things that this can apply to. Like when I have anxious thoughts or perfectionistic thoughts or like, you know, not that you're going to dismiss and devalue everything that comes out of your, in your brain, but like you get to choose like what you attach to and what you 
take attention away from. And, you know, that can apply to really anything. And it it gets more of a practice in mindfulness and that your thoughts really, you don't have to believe all of them. And that's one of the things that I took from the book, that even though ostensibly it's around eating disorders and bulimia, there's, if you really look and think about what's going on there, there are so many applications to this into all sorts of other areas, whether it's anxiety, whether it's OCD, uh, whether it's uh, also the eating disorders. I, I'm reminded I was on a, not that I tread these boards that often, but I became a keyboard warrior, dare I say, on Facebook, on a Facebook forum. I try not to because I, I still have not yet managed to see anyone successfully win an argument on Facebook. I, I think it might be impossible. Yes. Um, I I was on an anxiety and depression forum and someone wrote the question, what do I do when my depression, and you hear the words of that, my depression, puts up the thought, I'm worthless and life is shit. And uh, I was like interested by the comments that people were writing. People were writing things like, I'll pray for you. Chin up. You're okay. You'll be all right. Just think positive. Things like that. And I couldn't help myself. And I wrote a different question. I said, can I ask you a different question? I typed. And the question I I said was this. What do you do when your happiness puts up the thought, I'm wonderful and life is great? Mm. And she wrote back and tagged me. And I thought it was just so such an interesting response. She went, don't be ridiculous, tagged Howard Cooper. (sighs) Those ones are just thoughts. And And I thought that really kind of just cut to the the heart of what we're talking about here which is essentially people are just having thoughts all day some are good thoughts some are bad thoughts some give them good feelings some give them bad feelings and they're just coming up all over and and really you know it's more about which ones do we go those ones are us those ones are the significant ones and then we just kind of ignore all the other ones that are coming up and it kind of seems arbitrary in many ways and i think that kind of getting back to the therapy thing it can give so much value to those eating disorder thoughts or the thoughts related to binging because you're always looking for evidence you're always looking for what the problem is where is this coming from you know what are the root causes what emotions are are giving me urges like when you're always looking for it of course you're going to recognize them and then Mm -hmm. i i would have told back then i would have said oh this consumes my life it consumes my days when in reality the thoughts you know, the percentage of the time I was thinking about binging probably wasn't even that high. It was just that I was training myself to make it really make it grow in a lot of ways. How how have other eating disorder professionals greeted your work? You know, su- surprisingly, there's been many who, you know, I don't have like exact numbers here, but I mean, I have my definitely my negative reviews on Amazon and things like that from therapists. And but there have been many who have contacted me and said, wow, this really changed how I've treated my clients. This, this, I, I give clients your book all the time. I recommend your book. I'm like, wow, that's really meaningful to me that it would have any sort of effect on the therapeutic community because that's really my goal. I mean, I'm just one person. I'm just sharing my story. And I've been surprised, like I said in the beginning, about how it, it has taken off and so, reached so many people. But ultimately, I'm one person. So if I can reach therapists and they can you know, look at it in a new way, and not that they have to completely adopt what I'm talking about, but if they can just change a little bit and, and help them to view their clients as fundamentally healthy and teach them how to get that control back instead of the mindset of always looking for the problem. I think I will have succeeded I, in what I'm trying to do. Is there anything that you wanted to share with people that I haven't asked directly? You know, just that I always want to encourage people that it's possible to overcome this. And what I'm talking about is a brief version of my my story but 
I do have a website, this brainoverbinge.com. When I published my book, again, it was my story. And then I had so many questions come in, like so many people who this resonated with, like, oh my gosh, I've been thinking these same things for years. I knew it wasn't about coping. But then also so many people with questions because eating disorders are not like another addiction where you can just stop eating. <laughs> like You can stop smoking, but like you can't just stop eating. So like that's where a lot of the questions come in because not only do you have to break the ha- the habit and rewire your brain to get rid of the urges, you, you have to make sure that that survival drive doesn't come into play again. You have to eat enough. And that a lot of times gets into, you know, people who are really attached to dieting and think that's the solution for weight loss. So there, there tends to be a lot of questions surrounding food and weight. And um, so I wrote another book, Brain Over Binge Recovery Guide, to sort of address that. And then I ended up developing a podcast, a blog, a course, like there's just so much that I kept adding to over, like over time to address all these questions that were coming up. So I guess that would be, you know, if you are interested in this, if this does resonate with you, my website does have a lot more information. Um, But as far as like encouraging people right now is that, you know, just because I stopped like right away, it doesn't mean that that's going to happen for everybody. I think that it can take a lot more time in practice for some people. And that doesn't mean I think people will act on their urge to binge or whatever other habit and then think, okay, this is proof that something is wrong with me. Whereas like you could act on it and then think, okay, what thought or feeling kind of sucked me in, kind of made me start believing that I needed this. And you can troubleshoot, you can figure out the problem without then slipping back into the belief that something is wrong with you. And I think that over time you keep practicing this and it starts to become more second nature to dismiss desires to do harmful behaviors because really we do it all the time. Like I want to encourage people that you do have thoughts during the day that you disregard, that you devalue. I actually call it dismissing. Um, I teach people how to dismiss the binge urges and you do have thoughts that you dismiss during the day. Like you could have just a crazy thought of, of something that you just know you would never do. And you just don't give it any attention. You don't give it any meaning. So really the goal is to start viewing the urges to binge or really any habit as meaningless to you and also as powerless because you have the ultimate ability whether or not you act and as harmless as well. Like it's not going to hurt you to have certain desires or thoughts or feelings. So just giving yourself that feeling of a sense of control, noticing where you already have it in your life and then building it up where you need that support, like in the area of stopping your habit and practicing over and over and you can get better at it and then just decondition the habit for good. I I mean, I really like the idea and the distinction around dismissing uh, thoughts and to add some clarity to listeners, um, you absolutely don't mean distract yourself from them. Yeah, I don't. I mean... In the first book, actually, I used the word resist, and I decided in the second book that I was going to change it, and that was based on, um, I credit Dr. Amy Johnson, who contributed to my second book, who does a lot of work around change. She suggested that change, and I totally, totally agree, and I'm going to eventually update the first book, because when Mm -hmm. you resist something, when you really fight against it, you're actually making it stronger, and I hope that people who read the book understand like what I'm talking mean, but I did switch the language in the second book to dismiss because it's really a good way to think about it. You're not giving it value. Like when your alarm goes off and it's not really supposed to at that moment, you just dismiss it. It's not a big deal. You don't give a lot of thought to it. And the binge urges are kind of like a faulty alarm. They just go off because you've, that's the way you've trained your, your brain and you don't have to give it value. And you also don't have to fight it. Like, why is this going off? Why is this happening again? Why am I having this? Why do I have this problem? 
You just, mm-hmm. okay, it's here and it's going to pass and it passes and then it'll come up again and it pass again and you can remain in that detached place. It's not always going to feel perfectly comfortable or like this Zen experience, but you can avoid following these urges into behaviors that you know are harming you. Listen, it, it, this is just, it, it's been so great talking to you and uh, having you share some of these stories and these insights with people. I really hope it empowers people, uh, especially if you're in the position of working with other change, uh, other, other people therapeutically who are coming to see you with binge eating uh, related issues or wanting to change their patterns of thinking, that this book, Brain Over Binge, is an absolute must read and um, go out, get it. Um, and, and start looking at how you can incorporate some of these ideas that uh, really, really can make a huge difference to so many people. So thank you, Catherine. It's been uh, an absolute joy to yes, spend uh, some time with you. Thank you so much, Howard. I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, why not share it with anyone you think might be interested and even head over to iTunes to give us a glowing review. You'll find more about what's coming up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash rapidchangematters hyphen podcast. And of course, you'll find all the links related to this episode, plus those upcoming live events that will help you hone those change work skills. Music.